Huddled with a thermos of hot chocolate at Bruce Stadium, it's the Rugby League Cemetery. Yes, thank you very much, Tom Jones. And this is the Rugby League Cemetery. And we are going back to the year 2000. Put on your jacket, put on your beanie and your scarf and your mittens and your snow boots because we're about going back to May 28 in the year 2000. Canberra 24, the West Tigers 22 in front of 7,384 absolute maniacs at the great Bruce Stadium. And uh, why are we covering this game, I hear you ask? Why are we covering a game? from round 17, 2000, that had very little consequence on the premiership that year. Well, it's the snow game, my very good friends. It is the snow game. Uh, In many ways, this whole cemetery project was leading up to this moment. And it shouldn't surprise anyone that we've arrived here originally, uh, eventually. When you talk about the great moments in rugby league history, uh, you know, people will talk a lot of trash about Clive Churchill kicking goals from the sideline with a broken arm. Uh, you know, John Sattler playing on with a broken jaw in a grand final, all this sort of thing. Uh, I don't know about you, but for me, it all really centres around the snow game. This is where, this is the peak of the rugby league project. Uh, and it, I dare say, will be the peak of the rugby league cemetery. Gazzy, I, watching this took me to another place. This was wonderful. This was everything. Uh, I, I haven't counted the amount of games we've done yet, but it's somewhere around 20. And there's a suggestion that we're sort of 20 games behind schedule in getting to this one. This yeah, should have been should, the kickoff. We should have let off. Should, you see, we started, yeah. with, we started with a Tigers versus Raiders match, but we started with the mm. wrong one, the 89 yeah, grand final. Yeah. The, much less yeah. mem- the much less memorable and significant 1989 grand final. Absolutely. Absolutely no snow in that grand final. That's it's right. Noticeable. Fact. Fact. <laughs> Does it tarnish the win in a lot of ways? Like, the, like a snow? Yeah, well, that's the thing about Ricky Stewart. He could never get it done in snow. A lot of people well, yeah. that. Yeah. That's exactly right. That's, that's exactly yeah. right. Um, I, yeah, it, this, this is the... They really make a point repeatedly through the game of saying it's the first ever premiership match played in snow. <laughs> Which, I was there any kind of doubt about that? I... I did they need to consult uh, David Middleton about this? 
Yeah, that, that's the thing. It's Again, you mentioned the other week uh, when they said, oh, this would be the biggest comeback ever in the Knights Power Grand Final. But again, if there had have been a 24-0 comeback in the Grand Final, we'd know about it. Yeah, and if there true. had been a premiership game played in Raging Snow, again, I think we would have known about it. Yeah. Um, it, it's just wonderful. It, one of my favourite things is that sort of a couple of minutes in, Craig Field gets a couple of, of, of dropouts and the commentators immediately burst into that Craig Field loves the snow. Like, yeah. It takes about two minutes to start. Well, he's just like tossing through who's enjoying the snow and who's struggling in the conditions. There's a lot of talk that the Tigers, <laughs> one of the absolute wonderful shouts is there's a lot of talk that the Tigers um, have adapted surprisingly well, despite being unfamiliar with the snow. And I'm kind of thinking, hang on, nobody's ever played in snow. The Raiders aren't snow specialists because they happen to be the home team. They've never played in these conditions either. Yeah, yeah, that um, bloody TK, we'll get on to a minute. When, when the first try is scored, just start, tosses out that the crowd, the Tigers score first. That yeah. the crowd is shell-shocked because people didn't think the Tigers would adapt. Yeah. People said the Tigers would adapt. What people said that? The Raiders haven't played in the snow either. And I'm going to suggest to you that yes. Laurie Daly, Brett Mullins and co, if they'd have rocked up to training and it was snowing, which is again, very un- unlikely, they possibly wouldn't have not trained in it that day. Like they, They've just I gone reckon, home. Yeah, they've gone to the gym or done something inside. Yeah. It's very unlikely that they've prepared very often for this game. And it's quite likely that there was literally no opportunity to prepare for this because it just doesn't snow. Like, it's not like training at night for a night game. When, do you pra- when would the Raiders have practiced to play in this? And why, well, given knew, that it well, never happened? You see, if Mal was fair income, and I, you know, Mal's got his critics and I'm one of them, um, if, if Mal was fair income, he would have taken them down to Jindy in the preseason just in case. Just in case, yeah. Just in case they, yeah. you know, or, or mid-season break the ginderbine and just chuck the ball around, just get a feel for it. Um, well, he didn't need to, did he? Just in case. And, and same goes for the Tigers. You know, you've got to be prepared for all conditions. Uh, now, th- this, there's a couple of things. That, apparently, Joel Kane wrote a piece for Players mm. Voice a couple of years ago where he talked about this game. Fascinating. Uh, he, yeah, well, yeah, such insights. <laughs> yeah. But the thing that I did find interesting was that they had absolutely no expectation that the game would be on. Once they got to the ground and saw that there was just snow blaring out of the sky, they went, oh, well, this, this won't be, then we're not going to be playing. So they all go back into the dressing room and sort of relax. And the next minute, righto, boys, put your boots on. It's on. Um, yeah. Well, if that's exactly what, what my first note was. And I didn't want to be a wowser because I know you're sort of uh, what you might call militantly pro football being played. Like, I don't think in any conditions, any conditions no. that you would call it off. But my first note just was why was this game played and and i don't say that from a negging point of view i mean i no. would have gone and i think it should be played i'd have been devastated if i was watching super saturday and they called a game off that really wrecked my sort of month but nonetheless like why was it being played from an objective point of view I, I, someone who's not as mad as you or i why were they playing this it was I, pissing down snow i don't know <laughs> you can't see any of the lines on the field. You can't see have... anything. Why are the <laughs> Raiders try... wearing Why are the, Why are the tries? white jerseys? Why are they wearing yeah. jerseys? Yeah, because I, I don't. I, did they think their green jersey was going to clash with the like orange of black of Balmain? I don't know. I think there might have but been a it's... sense that they wanted to blend in with the snow. Yeah, helpful from their point of view. There's literally a try in this game that we'll get to where the person scoring has to look down to see if they're at the try line yet because everything's so white, you can't see the line. So they're looking around trying to eye in if they happen to be over the over the try line yet. And that happens a lot watching it. You're going, I don't know where they are on the field. There's no... Yeah. They, I can't see the 50-metre line or the 40-metre line. or um, Heaven forbid if someone had tried to kick a 40-20, that would have been taking some real judging from the, the referees and the touchies if they had been close to the 40 trying to boot one out. It was just totally mental. Yeah. 
Um, no, it's baffling. I, I, I couldn't believe, <clears throat> like I know that this happened, but when you actually watch it and you get into what it meant for the game, I can't believe, I can't believe they played. I doubt they would play now. I'll Can I put it to you? Landis, I think it'd push on. I reckon he'd be like, yeah. get out there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I was going to say, it's, when I said, I said, why did they play? But, you know, it was arguably not any worse conditions than, say, the, the Parramatta and Sharks the other week and the slopping wet and the, yeah. the Sharknado game. But it's just something about it being snow. But I'll, I'll put it to you. Can I put something to you? By all having means. seen this and having watched what it meant for the game, I put to you that all games should be played in snow. I agree. Well, Craig Field and, would be an immortal if they were. Yeah, and well, I just think, so if we were in another situation, so if the COVID was to pick back up and there was more talk of a sort of permanent rugby league island, it should be in Russia. That's a wonderful So idea. that all games can be played in the snow, full <laughs> snow season. Just take this to its logical conclusion, this, ah. this, this experiment from the year 2000. Send it around again. Yeah, that's a wonderful. Maybe Siberia or something like that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, that's fantastic. Uh, wouldn't Ian Rubin become a significant player in the game? Like he yeah. would be, he'd be sort of the godfather of rugby league in Russia. Well, if, if the competition moved to Russia, he would be the conduit between the cultures. Yeah, well, you think so? Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? He's, yeah, about, about, right, yeah. He'd be like, you know, like I know Wayne Pierce was the the brains behind rugby league Ireland. Well, Wayne Pierce coached in this game. He knows what this is all about. Uh, yeah. yeah, no, that, that's a that's a fantastic. I would love to see um, another snow game. I think most people would. Um, the, the, the other great thing about this is it wasn't even winter. It was the 28th of May. <laughs> <laughs> like this, yeah. Anyway, um, there were a couple of things about this game that I did not know, uh, that I was stunned by. Uh, it should be noted, by the way, this is a very unusual rugby league season because, uh, because of the Olympics, uh, the season started on the 6th of February, mm. the first game of the premiership. <clears throat> and uh, the grand final was played on the 27th of August. So it was very, um, very, very early in the year. This was round 17 being played in May. But somehow... Yeah, I was stunned. Yeah. When it said round 17 in May, I started going, hang on. Um, like, I couldn't, I couldn't quite cope with that. And um, just as a little brief, can I, can I put very quickly on the record my thoughts on disrupting the rugby league schedule for the stupid Olympics? Yeah. Like, so that we can watch the stupid walking and the bloody European handball and I all this garbage. I, I think you and I would have taken fairly severe umbrage. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, move the Olympics to bloody February. Yeah, like, good for idea. For Christ's sake. For the footy, yeah. Um, hmm. That's right. It's, uh, it's made it a very bizarre season. And, of course, the, there are a couple of things about this season that make it possibly one of the greats of all time. Uh, one of them is it's one of the few years with the McDonald's ball. Uh, yep. You and I have long said, uh, and I don't think we'll be backing away from this, that the McDonald, the best football was played with the McDonald's ball. That the McDonald's ball is mm. the best ball uh, yep. in in rugby league history. Uh, I don't yep. see anything to to dim my view on that. Uh, certainly no. not out of this game. Uh, for some reason, whenever I think of the McDonald's ball, I think of the Supermax, really yeah. zinging it around in the at Bruce Stadium. I don't know why. Yeah. Yeah, you're best to try not to think too much of the Supermax. But yeah, well, it, it, it overstimulates me. Yeah. Yeah. But no, no, absolutely. It's the best football and there's no, it's not a contest. There's no competition. If you and think it, it is, you're wrong. Yeah. yeah, that's right. And the second thing is this is the year of what a game, what a game, what a mighty fine game. <laughs> and uh, again, I, I, don't think I'm, I don't think you're going to correct me when I say it is the, it is the absolute all-time number one rugby league song the absolute number one all-time rugby league ad. Uh, and anyone who wants to disagree with me on that can see me in the car park after this episode. 
because there's just no case. There's just no world in which Tom Jones seeing what a try, what a show of speed isn't the people <laughs> of, of rugby league advertising. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely it is. It's, uh, you know, no, I don't think Tina Turner did anything ever no. that was as good as this Tom Jones ad. I'm unusually, uh, sitting fond, there. I'm unusually fond of the Tina Turner ads, mm, but, yeah. but nothing tops Tom Jones. No, in the suit. Remember him in the suit on the ad singing, he had the girls around him doing yeah, the... And, and, oh. Oh. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. What that a hit. What a show with speed. It's just... It, I watch that oh, sort of monthly with no, yeah. for no reason. It's just every now and again you need it. You know, you just go... You need a lift. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's, it was an error, wasn't it? Because it wasn't that was... long after a blow that whistle ref and all this. So it was sort of really right in the era, the peak era. And, and of course... Um, I get knocked down. I chump the chumba wumper oh, so All was, the um, best. Yeah. But it's a bit of whiplash, isn't it, to go from Thomas Keneally to Tom Jones? Like, I think that's yeah, going to be the cause of chumba wumba. Remember the chumba wumba one was unbelievable because they sat there and they used to go, we've got the Knights, we've got the Tigers, we've got the yeah. Magpies. I get knocked down. They're just listing the teams. <laughs> it's the form of advertising. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. Yeah, Jesus. I think that was in the, I think that was after the, uh, the budget depletion of the Super League War. <laughs> I think it was <laughs> with it all. They were a bit skinny on the money front. The, yeah. I think the, the financial position of the game had improved enough by the year 2000 that they could bring out Sir Tom Jones. Yeah. Uh, I think his knighthood. I think this this ad was cited when he was yeah. when he was knighted a few years later. This was one of the things that uh, Her Royal Highness mentioned in in making that decision. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, contribution to rugby league. Uh, really? Anyway, I, just a couple of things that I thought had to be mentioned to put mm-hmm. this game in context. Now, I was staggered a few minutes into the game to see they put the graphic up setting out the Tigers' season up to that point. And it revealed that the Tigers, the West Tigers, in their first year as a joint venture, were coming second. Mm. Nine wins, five losses, and two draws. Um, I, I'll go through the teams in a minute, but I sort of needed to take a moment after I heard that, that information. Yeah, I paused the game instantly and said, what? And, and went and looked up the table as to where they finished and was reassured that that was a little more in keeping with my view. But nonetheless, it's quite stunning that um, where they end up finishing, um, you, you can go through that in a moment, like they really, this is sort of, there's a suggestion that uh, they weren't able to bounce back from the snow game. Like, well, <laughs> they possibly all had hypothermia for the next six months. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's absolutely right. It's, um, it's wild. because So they were, they were coming second, coming into this game. Uh, they lost, of course, 24-22. And then I want to read the results from here on out for the rest of the season um, because they're incredibly funny. They lost eight of their next 10 to finish 10th, having been second after... Like, they were still second after this game. After round 17, they were second and missed the finals completely. Um, The following week after this, they led 31-8 against Penrith and were run down (laughs) (laughs) 32-31. It's really good. <laughs> and then listen to the rest of these results. <clears throat> lost to St. George Illawarra 36-24. Lost to Brisbane 56-12. But they won two in a row. 18-16 uh, over Parramatta and 24-22 after, over Cronulla. So they're still seventh by round 22. So they're right in the hunt. They're still in the finals places. And then their last four games, all losses, 38-26 against North Queensland. 36-26 against the Bulldogs, 34-26 against Newcastle, and 36-26 against Melbourne. So they scored 26 points four games in a row and didn't win any of them. 
you know, well, they just needed to score more points. That's the issue. Well, it seems that the attack needs to be getting to 40 a bit more often. It's, yeah, well, that's right. You've got to go on with it. Try more on. It's, um, yeah, it's really good. It's, it really is. There really is a sense that this, uh, this game had its own momentum, isn't there? Because Canberra, who I don't remember being any good either, are coming ninth or 10th going in and end up finishing fourth. Yeah. So the, Tigers, the Tigers off a two-point loss in the snow go from second to 10th or something like that. And the Raiders go from 10th to fourth, which seems sort of totally out of kilter with how I remember that side as well. But yeah, um, yeah there's this real sense, isn't it, that, that you, you, this game could really take it out of you. You needed it's that win and that momentum. Yeah. yeah, needed to have the, yep. if the, the, the snow game was the turning point in both sides' seasons. Yeah, you're right. The Raiders uh, <clears throat> won seven out of ten to finish the season, including the snow game, finished fourth and went out in week two of the finals to the Roosters. Mm. Now, uh, this was, of course, a 14-team comp. So this was the, uh, mm-hmm. the, the kind of rationalisation period. Mm-hmm. The first year without the Rabbits uh, started on the 6th of Feb, grand final on August 27th, 26-game uh, season. So George Illawarra missed the finals in the year 2000. But in their 26 games, I ask you, how many tries did Nathan Blacklock score? I, you, when you ask me this, I just always go at one a game. I was going to say 26 again. 25. Yeah, wow. Yeah, this last just, time you asked me that, one of the other seasons, he scored 27. Yeah. So that's, yeah, that's it's getting to a lot of seasons with him scoring at roughly one a game in teams that aren't going that well. That's right. I just feel that, that uh, every time we cover one of these seasons from the Blacklock mm. era, I just think we need to take a moment to just reflect on how many tries Nathan Blacklock scored. As you say, the Dragons didn't go any good. They finished ninth in a mm. terrible competition. Ninth out of 14 and, and 25 yeah. tries. Try again. So, He's, He's got 27, 27 in 2001 from memory. So that's yeah. um, 25 and 27 in back-to-back seasons is not bad. I think you'd have to say <laughs> this, this, this man yeah. is a machine, they said. Even his friends say he isn't human. Um, mm-hmm. Joel Kane incidentally, scored 15 tries in the year 2000 and was the top, try sc- uh, the top point scorer in the competition with 224. What an era for the game where Joel Kane mm. was the game's number one sharpshooter. Now, uh, <laughs> we might mm. go through the... Should we go through the teams, Gazzy? Because there are just some names here that uh, I brought tears to my eyes to see them again. Uh, the Raiders side is as follows. Fullback Brett Mullins. The wings, Greg Wolfgram and Leslie Vaynercolo. The centres, Luke Williamson and Anthony Swan. The halves, Mark McClendon and Andrew McFadden. Super Max, baby. I found myself just, any time either of them got the ball, just bellowing out, Super Max! <laughs> Constantly. Um, the front row, the classic early 2000s Canberra front row of Todd Payton and Luke DeVico with Simon Wolford at hooker. Uh, the the yeah, baby. The second row, Brandon Coston and David Ferner. And the lock and captain, Laurie Daly. Again, what an era in the game where Laurie Daly relegated to lock by the Supermax. Um, yeah. I thought, you've got a, the thing that jumps out at me about this is that we've now watched quite a few games with Laurie Daly in them. Mm. Uh, 89 Grand Final, 1990 Kangaroo Tour, all this kind of thing. And then 10 years later, here he is battling away, like both knees just riddled with fluid playing lock with the Supermax in the halves in the snow against this busted Tiger's side. <laughs> gets, gets a lull of Milford. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's just a real kind of, I don't know. Yeah. They've just, him and Mullins in particular, you know, we watched those the stuff from 94. Yeah. We talked about how good Brett Mullins was. And then a few years later, like this is, this is, there is. I think we owe it to Laurie. 
we owe it to Laurie to watch something in the middle at some point. We've really yeah. skirted around his best games. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But it's yeah. kind of, it just, it's, it's a real, rugby league has this wonderful uh, equalising quality. Mm. You, 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 have to, you have to live with a bit of humility, you know? Mm. Um, yeah. yeah, and everybody gets their turn at some point. The Tigers side, now bear in mind as I read out this side, they were a joint venture of two clubs who mm. were going terribly. Balmain finished 15th in 1999. West finished last, 17th. Uh, And they mashed those two sides together and they were coming second after 17 rounds of the competition. With this team, fullback Joel Keane, wings Laloa Milford and John Hopawati, centres Kevin McGuinness and John Carlaw, halves Ben Duckworth, Craig Field, the front row Shane Walker and John Scandalis and hooker Darren Centre, the captain, Second row, Mark O'Neill and Luke O'Donnell. And the lock, Tyron Smith. Uh, and the bench, Shiriako Mesha, Steve Georgialis, Justin Doyle and Hayes Lauder. I'm afraid to say I don't have any memory of Hayes Lauder, coached by Wayne Pierce. Um, there are some names in there. I, there's, the, the Tigers there have two, not one, but two of the great journeymen of rugby league history. Uh, John Carlaw, 158 games across eight seasons at six different clubs. Mm-hmm. Um, which is quite a record, 97 at the Mariners, 98 at the Storm, 99 at Balmain, 2000 and 2001 at the Tigers, 2002 to three at the Warriors, including a grand final, and 2004 at the Dragons. Uh, but that's nothing compared to the awesome power of Tyron Smith, uh, who is one of three players in rugby league history to have played for seven different clubs in first grade. 188 first grade games across seven clubs. Souths, North Queensland, the Mariners, Auckland, Balmain, the West Tigers and the Raiders gloriously played for two different clubs in the Super League year. Played for North Queensland and then defected mid-season to the Mariners. Uh, Tyron Smith, we salute you. Uh, the other two, of course, Darian Doherty. Darian Doherty is particularly good because he only played 60 games but played in <laughs> seven different clubs. <laughs> and, uh, and Blake Green, who's lining up club number eight next year. Got no, him. no, tragically he's already played for them. What do you he's mean? Looked up. He's, he's already played. Blake Green's already played for the Bulldogs. Oh. So he can't. He doesn't get to break the record because I thought oh, this no. too. And I went and looked it up, and he played some stupid sort of right at the beginning. He's played for them. Oh, that's he, dis- I despair. Well, good, yeah. news, good news for Tyron, I suppose. It holds uh, on. This gonna, that's going to be a real. Um, assuming they keep uh, Remus next year, that's going to be a real crew at the tight. That you just think. The Bulldogs next year are going to have one of the record holders and one of the record holders' sons in the mm, same yeah. team. That's a lot of... Um, well, it's special. It's a lot of pressure, though. It is a lot of pressure for both... Brings expectations. Yeah, yeah, expectations that they'll move on next year. <laughs> Go to another uh, yeah. club. You know, he's a manager, player manager now, Tyron Smith, which I find very funny because if we tell people, now, buzz off, go over here. Yeah, <laughs> Got to get a move. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, a couple of things about the teams, not so much about the teams, just about generally, I suppose, that, that need to be raised based on what you've brought up. Um, I think, firstly, uh, it needs to be brought up that um, the wing battle, based on what you've told us, is that I think it's very much our areas that Leslie Vainakolo would be marking John Hopawati in this game. Oh, yeah. that, that's sort of a, a game that even if it wasn't snowing, you and I would have had in the, in the little di- like diary with a big sort of red pen circled around yeah. it. Keep that day free. Uh, yeah. two, of the, two of the absolute great wingers to watch. Um, well, the other things, I suppose, is just looking at the Tigers team. Like They end up, not surprisingly, not being that good because you know if they were to mesh the 2020 Bulldogs with the 2020 sort of like 
Cowboys or, Titans. or Titans. I don't know that they would they would necessarily go much good. But there must have been a thought at this point after the Dragons made the grand final the year before, as in their you know their joint venture mm. year. There must have been this real thought this year, like when they were coming second, that oh, like oh, is this a bit unfair? Like we keep bashing the Sydney sides into one. Once when they were second, they must have been going, geez, maybe we shouldn't have done this. Like it's they're too good. Like the Dragons are going through and made a grand final straight yeah. up. The Tigers and Magpies are going straight through. They're going, hang on, we've put these teams together and they just, they're just they rolling through the competition. And, you know. it, yeah, are you suggesting possible super club? Yeah, super club. Yeah, that, that's pawn out over time, I think. I um, think that's right, yeah. As you can pretty much see that sort of kicking on today. The other thing was just like, at the, I guess the, um, the Raiders were, were one to look at. When you look at their team list, it's a lovely mix of the remnants of when they were good blended yeah. with the error that they're then not good. You get this, you know, uh, you know, we, we talked about the other week on the Knights podcast about how Andrew Johns, like by the time he came back from injury in 20, 2006, it was like him and Baderas, but they were playing with like these guys from the Newcastle local league. There's none of these great yeah. guys from the grand final left. And what you got here is like, Oh, there's Laurie Daly and there's um, Ruben Wiki on the bench and there's Brett Mullins. But like then all of a sudden, like the people around them, are just, you know, you're like not there anymore. All the other yeah. guys, suddenly they're playing with a Supermax, they're playing with uh, Todd Payton. Not that they're bad players, but they're just like all the guys that were there in 94 yeah. aren't. It's just a bit of a journey from kind of playing with mm. Ricky Stewart and the Walters and Lazarus yeah. and Brad yeah, Klein. Meninga, and, yeah, Meninga, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, no, you, you, uh, Garrett, yeah, you're absolutely right. To play um, with Wolf Graham, for example. Yeah. For example. Now, there were, the, the thing that jumped out to me about this Raiders um side as I read down it was there are just so many of these guys who have never been on the Viking horn mm. and, and yes. who absolutely should have been. I've been advocating for Wolf Graham pretty much since they introduced the Viking horn and started getting his mm. players up. I've sort of been saying, where's Greg Wolf Graham? He needs to be there. Um, yeah. And frankly, yes. as, far as, as far as I'm concerned, the, the, the Viking horn will have no credibility until at least three or four of these guys have had a crack at it. Yeah, look, they're on the list. I maintain that Jason Bugarelli should be placed on top of the as, as the uh, number one person to get a go on the horn based on values. But you know, once they get him, yeah, I once Booger Sugar Bugarelli does a week, <laughs> then I think these are the next guys on the list. <laughs> I think I got to tell you, I did look for, uh, I did look for his name when uh, when when these teams were, uh, yeah. Were, were, that Bulgarelli, <laughs> everything Jason Bulgarelli was sacked from the Raiders after a package he allegedly tried to collect was discovered to contain ecstasy tablets. <laughs> yeah, well, oh, there's a good. It's they've got a bit of a history of this because what I noted in this game was that the, uh, Brandon Pierce and Nee Costin is playing. Yes, um, and, and uh, one of the great, of course, Raiders stories, which I uh, um, possibly should have brought up in the Knights game final when we had BK playing, but chose not to, is the great story of Ben Kennedy and Costin getting stood down because they missed. They showed up at training after a drinking session and were really. And somehow it's come out that there was possible drug involvement, and Costin's admitting admitted to swallowing an ecstasy, ecstasy tablet, and Ben Kennedy has claimed that it was in his mouth, but that he spat it out. <laughs> and they both ended up uh, good, not failing the drug test, and then it it sort of was then deemed okay, even though one of them actually, well, both of them admitted to having it in their mouth, and one admitted to swallowing it. But I think on on the basis. Uh, I think BK only goes up in my estimation for admitting to having it in his mouth, but somehow he's claimed to have also the, spat it out. Like, the, what, which part of the, when did he change oh, his mind? <laughs> you see, this is the, there is a bit of history. This is the pinger equivalent 
of I I did smoke marijuana, but I didn't inhale. Yes. How yes. that go? <laughs> yeah. It's just yeah. the disco biscuit equivalent of that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's gone at some point from yeah, chuck it in, chuck it in my gob. <laughs> no, it's going back. Nah, it's no good. Um, yeah. No, you're right. Uh, I, Brandon Coston also, I remember him very bitterly because he signed for Cessnock uh, a mm. few years after this and never played. Yeah. yeah. Never played. I, I don't know. know what happened there, but he... he Renega. I remember there was a picture of him in the front, but this is a, give you an idea of... Uh, there was a, front, a picture of him on the front page of the Cessnock advertiser working behind the bar at the Cessnock Leagues Club and sorted <laughs> him out with a job. And then he never played. Didn't he catch away from down from playing with Laurie Taylor, isn't it? Well, <laughs> arguably. I, have you yeah. ever been to the Cessnock Leagues Club? I'd suggest you wouldn't want to be. I'd, I'd be. Well, I'm not bang. I just think I wonder if he thought he would end up there whilst playing, still just starting for the Raiders, playing with Laurie Taylor. I, I just imagine yeah. that he had a different progression from there on. That's possibly fair. Uh, the other thing about uh, Brandon Coston, of course, is that he's a US Tomahawk. He's a yeah. Tomahawk international, he, I believe. I. And my memory uh, might be wrong here, but I believe he played in the halves for the Tomahawks with Sideshow Bob Matt Peterson. Well, I'm glad you brought up Sideshow Bob Matt Peterson because I was about to ask you who your favourite Tomahawk was. And uh, mine was going to be Sideshow Bob Matt Peterson. Likewise. Yeah, but um, but anyway. And Joseph Paulo, the international Tomahawk captain. It's quite a halves pairing, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) Costin, Bob. Isn't it it just a shame of history that they just couldn't hang out long enough to play with Joseph Paulo, those two? Isn't that a team that would have got people excited in America? Well, that that would have been a hashtag golden gen. Um, yeah. yeah, you'd have to think. Finally uh, cracked the market, finally. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Make Brandon Coston a household name in America. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, we, we, should, uh, we should look at some of the tries from this game, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. the, it, was, it was beautiful. You, you mentioned uh, that there are some bizarre tries in this game. The first one is scored by Ken McGin- uh, Kevin McGuinness, sorry, mm-hmm. uh, but from a Craigfield grubber from five out. McGuinness uh, mm. falls on the ball. There's a lot of confusion. The in goal, the ball kind of just stops because the ground's covered in snow. Uh, and the Tigers go 4 0 up. And there's a lot of talk, as you said, about how well they're adapting to the conditions. <laughs> and I say, that, that, that one of the very funny things about rugby league commentary is that anytime it's either raining, windy, or in this instance, snowing, the commentators just keep saying these conditions over and over and over for the rest of the game. Um, there's no other, there's absolutely no other phrase that can be used to denote bad weather. It's just, they have to play smart in these conditions. Yeah. They're really adapting well to these conditions. Oh, this game's going to be a bit tough in these conditions. And you have to talk about it endlessly, even on TV, despite the fact everyone can see it. You know, the old Richie Benno, like only speak if you can add to the picture, but you've got to constantly remind people it's snowing, like Mm. despite it pissing down snow and everyone that is listening to you being able to see that. Yeah, that's right. Because it's got to be mentioned. A um, couple of things. That try is very important because forever in a day, we will be able to say that we know who scored the first try in snow. That's in the right. Of the NRL. <clears throat> Kevin McGinnis, um, thank you very much. Two things. There's a reason they score first here. The two smartest players on the field are involved in this try. Um, I'd like to point out to you that in the entirety of the game, there's one person who chucks sleeves on. He seems to have some sort of yes. undersleeve, uh, which is McGuinness is wearing. It looks like a, like a skin set of skins or something similar has gone the long sleeve look under his yep. jumper. And Craig Field, in one of the most monumentally yes. 
brilliant things I've ever seen. It appears to be wearing a cotton T-shirt <laughs> <laughs> under his shirt, which I have never seen in the history of the game. So you've got all these, and look, it's easy to bag, but all these peons have <coughs> gone out yeah. there in their jersey in the snow, and he's gone, this looks a bit cold, and he's chucked a cotton T-shirt yeah. under his jersey and gone out and played. And Genius. And that's why they're involved in this. It shows the thinking and the yeah. understanding between Field and McInnes that existed. Well, they got the jump. They got the jump on everybody else. Mm. You know, like everybody else is sort of still getting, still adapting. And, uh, you know, adapt or die, baby. Craig Field and Absolutely. Kevin McGinnis had it sorted. They were like, no, 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 we're, we're warm. We're playing footy. We've got the, got the shirts on. Uh, Sugar Kane puts the goal over for 6-0. Um, there are two Tigers fans after this. There's a Tigers chant yeah. goes up around the ground, um, yeah. which is stunning. But then the there are two Tigers fans in the crowd with 1.25 litre bottles of home brand cola. <laughs> um, I don't know what what was going on there, but they they cut back to them about halfway through the game, and they're about halfway through the bottle. So they must have just been sitting there working on them over the course of the game. Well, I, I think it's fair to say that they, for you and I, they're our sort of um, spiritual predecessors. Yeah, you know? like That's the sort that. of the forebears to to what we are today. Is that those those people? I love seeing the crowd when when that's, they scored. They flash to this guy that's in a ninety eight. Balmain jersey, or 90, yeah, 98 Balmain jersey or 99, one of them. Um, and you look at it and you just go, this is so interesting. That guy's come from Sydney. This game's in Canberra and it's snowing. Yeah. And this bloke has come down and he hasn't even thought to put like a ski jacket or even a normal jacket over. He's gone, no, nah, I go for the Tigers. I got the Tigers jumper from on. Sydney to Canberra and I'm just going to wear the Tigers jumper and just, you know, just enjoy this. Anyway, he's not undercover. And no. those, those people, that's... You know, it's great that he did that anyway after the joint venture, but I don't want to make this a sad tale, but this is what these sort of mad people to a large degree mainly exist in Sydney. You know, like the, the Queensland yeah. clubs, the Queensland fans are very much fans of rugby league and fans of the Queensland origin team and they go for their clubs, but it doesn't have the mania of some of the old Sydney fans. And we lost a lot of these people to the game, the sorts of people when West and Balmain went out and when, you know, when, when all this sort of these mergers happened in Sydney, some of these people like this guy didn't come back and, yeah. and the game and is the sort ultimately of poorer who, yeah. for it. Yeah. The yeah. sort of people that would think they should drive to Canberra to watch this in the snow and, like proudly still wear their Tigers jersey and not put anything over the top, like in the, yeah. in the snow blizzard. Yeah. I mean, we, we make fun, but I just think that, you know, you and I would have, like if we'd have, if it had been our team, I just think we'd have been there. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, I, I was laughing at this this morning and showing, showing my wife and she made the point that I attended the, the Knights game versus the Bulldogs this season. Yeah, so they, three um, weeks ago, yeah. Yeah, they shut they shut the road. Like, I got out of it 10 minutes before they shut all the roads around the stadium for flooding. So I'm not in a position to yeah. judge, I, but I, I it's, it's just wonderful. I really do respect it. And they're the sorts of people. I only make the point just because I think it's a certain type of person that goes for some of these Sydney clubs. You see them when we get to, you and I go to Leichhardt quite a lot and some of them come out of the woodwork for those yeah. Leichhardt games. And, and you just think, I think we lost a, a, quite a few of them of to this, at this time and it sucks. Mm. Yeah, no, it does. You're right. Um, <clears throat> the, the Joel Kane conversion uh, involves a bit of chat that uh, he's been working with a kicking coach from the Northern Spirit NSL club. Yes. Um, yeah. How are they going now? Uh, they don't, yeah, they don't, don't, don't exist. Um, no. Yeah. Uh, commentary, by the way, on this game, Terry Kennedy, uh, Blocker Roach mm. and Sean Garlic. What a strange commentary team. Yeah. Yeah. Well, two out of three ain't bad as the saying goes. Sean, um, Sean Garlic uh, in the pre, you know, 
pie shop days. Uh, we wouldn't have he, had time nowadays. He, well, that's right. concentrate on his pie empire. Well, that's right. But uh, back in these days, he hit in the back of the head with a snowball on the touchline. Uh, <laughs> yeah, by some yeah. kid. Just the, I'll put the footage up on the Facebook through the week. The kid, the, Sean Gale, <laughs> has just finished saying this kid's making snowballs. It's a beautiful atmosphere down here. And this kid just nails him with it from about <laughs> 10 yards away. Really venomously too. Like it's not a, it's not playful. He's just, yeah, have that. Whack. Can you? Can you get done for that? You know, you, these days, they, uh, you know, political correctness has gone mad. If you throw a full water bottle or something at a referee, you know, there's all this sort of yeah, scandal yeah. about it like you shouldn't for some reason. Um, could What happened, like, if, if people had started pelting the referee with snowballs in the tunnel, is that throwing a projectile? Yeah, I reckon, I reckon, you'd, get, I reckon yeah. you might, I reckon you'd get your picture put up outside the stadium for that. Do not admit. That's, isn't you'd that political to, correctness gone absolutely to, mad? It is, yeah. You'd have to grow yeah. facial hair to get let back in. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, Terry Kennedy, I, look, mm. far better for us to be critical of anyone. Mm. But Terry Kennedy's a very bad rugby league commentator. And a, a bad person. To, to Terry, <laughs> Kennedy, Terry Kennedy is just a worm. He's just a total worm clinging onto the game that he has no, no insight into. No, he has no. He doesn't have a good voice for for the radio or the TV. He puts a fake voice on to call games that doesn't sound like what he sounds like. You know, Ray Warren has a distinctive voice, but if Ray Warren was to go on the Sunday football show or the Boots and All or you know all these sort of shows, he sounds like Ray Warren. This bloke puts on this fake elongated voice that sounds nothing like his little weasel voice that he used to do on Channel 9 when he did the talk shows um, and calls the game appallingly, makes appalling insights that Blocker repeatedly goes, well, no, I totally disagree with you there and just starts chipping him on. Yeah. And I, I just think he's one of the worst commentators to ever call and I don't know how he made a living out of talking about rugby league because he was on all those sports shows for a while. Then he had a stupid breakfast show with Michael Clark. Yeah, he's, you know? he was on the big big sports breakfast for years. Yeah. Have I gone too hard? No, no, I, there's nothing there I particularly disagree with. I, I've never been a fan of his work. Um, but it was very troubling to hear. This whole this whole arrangement, like this is the year after Blocker's been punted from Channel 9. You want to talk about declines, you've got poor old Blocker. Like in 99, he's there on the sideline of the grand final. Then the next minute, he's calling Canberra versus the Tigers in the snow in round 17 on Fox Sports. Mm. Um, yeah, but and, and oddly with, with Sean Garlick, it's just all very... There's a few weird sort of dissonant things about this game. I found Luke Donald, Luke O'Donnell's presence in this game to be very odd. Mm. Like it doesn't, <clears throat> you know what yeah. I mean? I was about to ask you that because he's he's nineteen and he plays a few games. Did he ever get a run before the merger? Did he get a go for Balmain the year before? It'd be lovely if he was sort of just he's only just retired. Could have been like the last sort of standing Balmain player. Quite that might be right. Let's have a look. Um, uh, yes, that, he played three ooh. games for Balmain in nineteen ninety nine. There you go. So the last standing Balmain player, I reckon, would have been him. He hasn't. Yeah, he isn't long gone. Right. Well, it have to be. He was eighteen. There wouldn't have been any eighteen-year-olds that played for Balmain still running around when he won the comp with the Roosters a few years. I wouldn't ago. have thought so. No. Mm. Yeah. There you go. This we've solved a mystery we didn't ever know we were trying to solve. Can I say uh, he was a very good player, Luke O'Donnell? Wonderful one of player. My, like, yeah. A really scary player. Yeah. But it was just very odd to see Luke O'Donnell playing against Laurie Daly. Yeah, you get a bit of that. That's it, it, you do, don't you? You sometimes just get crossovers of, of errors. Like someone who don't... played against, like someone who played against mm. Blocker, playing against someone who played against like Sonny Bill Williams. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, there's um, uh, Alan Tung is one that comes in yeah, this game where I, yep. he felt a bit. Like, he's a bit older, I think, than O'Donnell, but like sort of him combining at one point with Laurie Daly on a play just felt like that. You know, as a Knights fan, it's sort of like 
I don't know, you sort of said to be like Matthew Johns combining with sort of a Kiliwate or something. It just seems out of kilter with the time. It doesn't, yeah, it doesn't no, feel like they're from the same. If you were supporting the Raiders, you sort of feel like you're talking about, oh yeah, Laurie Daly at the Raiders and Alan Tung are just totally different periods. Different eras. Yeah, to- yeah. That's, that's yeah. right. Yeah. Uh, it was, it was very strange. Uh, the, the next try, the 15th minute. So that McGuinness mm. tries in the fourth, uh, in the 15th minute, uh, Sean Rutchison scores his only try in first grade football. Uh, and he's a a, it's a wonderful try. It's a beautiful bit of play from all concerned. Uh, Laurie Daly, the old master, kicks the ball into the in goal, which is a pretty good tactic because it just stops. Joel mm. Kane, who, God almighty, just dawdles back, picks it up, has a smoke, has a cup of tea, gets onto his Zimmer frame and finally starts making his way back into the field of play. Gets tackled. Ruben Wiki gets a knee on it. The ball comes flying out. And Sean Rutchison has his moment uh, and plants the ball down for his first and only try in first grade. And after a ludicrous video referee review, which goes for... Now, you've got to remember, these poor blokes are standing out there in the snow, absolutely freezing cold in shorts and a T-shirt, or two T-shirts in Craig Field's case. <laughs> and, um, and he keeps them there for about five minutes reviewing this decision and finally awards the try to poor old... Sean Rutchison and the Raiders end up leading six. Uh, sorry, the Raiders go behind six four, and then level it when Luke Williamson kicks the goal. Mm, yeah, that's right. Uh, firstly, one thing about the video review is that uh, it was really obviously a try. So one of the things about how ludicrously long it is is that you can tell on the first replay that he's run the ball and that it's he's lost it in the tackle because there's no yeah. hands around it. It gets bumped out by a knee, so there's no suggestion at all no. that it's come out mm-hmm. any other way. So I'm not sure what they're looking at. Um, Two more things, two very important things. Firstly, I got a hell of a lot of satisfaction out of watching this try. I got a lot of satisfaction out of watching Joel Kane just sort of duffing it for no reason, just spilling yeah, yeah. it on his own try yeah, line. Yeah, so did I. You yeah, know, gamble sniffling. responsibly. Gamble yeah, responsibly, says, What are the over-unders on you being a goose? Yeah, he's just a sniveling sports bet spiv, you know what I mean? Like, they're, they're yeah. just a, these sorts of gambling garbage is a real cancer on the game and his smug head being on television, you know, Shitting on about used, whether you should get on. Yeah, like, oh, you've got to get on. Or, yeah, yeah. Caleb Ponga to score second today and then score two points in the 70th minute and you get your money back. Yeah. responsibly. I've got no time for him. Um, and I really yeah. enjoyed seeing him stuff this up. And uh, yeah. secondly, so there's a very, very key moment here surrounding yes. Luke Williamson. So okay. Luke Williamson kicks goals in this game. Uh, Terry Kennedy helpfully says that this bloke's an outstanding kicker. He goes on to kick two from five. So, yes, good stuff, TK. Luke Williamson is kicking off sand. I had to go back and check this. Is he? Uh, yes, he is. And the reason I checked wow, this I is I didn't because, notice that. No, this, is, this was hardcore research. So, in the second half, I noticed that he was kicking, that the kickoffs were from sand. And I went... Why are they doing that? And I went, I wonder if he kicked for goal in it. And I dragged back through the tries. So in snowing conditions, <laughs> um, wow. Sugar Cane's got the old school tea, like the really yeah. basic tea, not, not a super tea, not a Caligan super tea, no. but he's got a tea of some kind, a little black one. And Luke Williamson is running the sand out. It is snowing down a store, which must affect the consistency of the sand, you'd imagine. One would imagine. And, so you're in snow. There is snow on the ground. There is snow coming down. And he is pouring sand, moulding it up into a castle to kick off. And I must say to you, it's no fucking wonder that he kicked two from five. It can't no. be ideal. He hit some of them horribly. 
He did. Um, he's While we're on him, he has, you know, we talked about sort of the seven clubs of Tyron Smith. One thing really interesting about Luke Williamson is he has a career, right? He only plays for five clubs, four in the NRL and one Super League. But he has the outstanding record of playing three of the five clubs he played for don't exist anymore, which I think is an incredibly, <laughs> like something that could only happen at a certain time in rugby league. So sure. he played for the Rams, yep. uh, the Raiders, the Northern Eagles, Manly and the Harlequins. Yeah, good. <laughs> so, yeah, I just think if you go through the history of the game, you can only play it so many times and have three of your five clubs not exist. But, um, yeah, yeah, kicking off sand. I, I thought you might have missed it. And uh, it's, you know, what are your thoughts? Kicking off sand in the middle of a, the snow game. Well, I just would note as well that Tyron Smith has he's played for he played for three clubs who subsequently went defunct. Of course, South's come yeah. back, but yeah, he had uh, Balmain yeah. and the Hunter Mariners. Uh, yeah, that's it's a good record. That. Um, I, I'm stunned by the sand revelation. This passed mm. me by completely. I, mm. I I have no idea what kind of scientific basis there is for kicking off sand in snow. I don't know what it does to the kind of uh, makeup of the snow, the consistency of it, the way that it forms. I, I have, I've got no insight into any of that. Well, um, he's from Canberra, so he would have had a lot of experience with it. That's true. Well, he probably, well, Luke Williamson <laughs> possibly spent quite a bit of time down at Threadbow, kind of just, yeah. just trying things out with a set of posts, set of posts yeah. and a 20-meter line and just sort of see sort how of the, the John's boys of Threadbow just getting around, just seeing how balls bounce, seeing what they do when you hit them certain ways and all yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Different height right. sand. It's, uh, yeah, no, but the thing about it is, it's just that I understand that people used to kick off, off um, sand, but tees exist at this point. The other kickers got a tee. We're in the midst of a Daryl Halligan explosion super tee era yes. of, of them being pumped at you. And I just reckon you might have looked at the conditions and go, I just want the ball to sit on something that is going to stay exactly the same, not sort of be crapped on by snow. And Yeah, anyway, I think it was important we went there. No, I'm very glad that you raised that because it had passed me by completely, as I said. Now, uh, the Raiders then go on a bit of a run. They score in the 19th minute through the great Greg Wolfgram. It's a kick mm. by Laurie Daly from 20 out, and it's just, just a horrendous botch from the lower Milford, <laughs> like just a complete mess. It's in the in goal. All he has to do is fall on it and plant it down. And instead... He decides to try and bat it dead with both hands, completely harbour bridges the ball and falls in a heap. And then Wolfgram plants it down. Uh, <laughs> so that's a very good bit of football. That, that gives the Raiders a 10-6 lead. And then there is a stunning, a stunning bit of play <clears throat> for Leslie Vanacolo to score in the 27th minute. After the volcano went down, he slipped over in the sand and Terry Kennedy tosses out, for mine, that's a voluntary tackle. Yeah, yeah. It, it is snowing on the field and he tries to change direction and falls over. And, and uh, I mean, I live for the voluntary tackle calls so anyway. Because even, even now, anytime someone goes down, you get at least 20 demented fans and one commentator howling for the voluntary tackle that hasn't been called uh, in sort of 30 years. Sort of like, it's like the intentional forward pass. Like, yes. They just don't exist. You don't call them. But yeah, it's, I don't know if this would have been the conditions to call voluntary tackle on someone falling over. <laughs> no. Funny. I, it's yeah, incredible. Benefit of the doubt. Yeah, yeah. I it again. It, it raised my raised my temperature. I really was on my feet for that. And Vanicola then plays the ball and ends up scoring. Mm. So he gets up and plays the ball. There's a hit up from uh, Justin Morgan. He offloads to Daly. Daly gives it to McFadden. McFadden turns it inside to Devico. Devico offloads to Coston, Cessnock repudiator. He gives it to Swan, and then the volcano ends up with it in the corner. 
and goes over and slides along from about 10 metres out and slides through the snow to put the ball down. This is the iconic moment of the game, the Vainicolo slide. So the, yeah. the volcano the volcano slides to the in goal and it's totally, at this point, white. Um, so everything in the in goal is white and he leaves this trail of green through the in goal because he slides through it and creates... I like a snowplow. Yeah, but quite a big snowplow. Yeah. It's quite a large... Leslie Vainicolo-sized uh, green uh, runway through the in goal, which you yeah. probably could land a, a sort of seven four seven on, given the size of Leslie. But he's just gone straight through, and and he comes up with snow on his eyebrow, snow on the jersey, and and sort of walks back looking very cold. And there's a couple of things about it. Um, the first thing, of course, is he, this is the try where he's not sure where the try line is, so he's yeah. wandering around sort of trying to make sure he's over it because um, you can't see the line. But secondly, I just don't know why he slid. It's very exciting and everything, but no one's anywhere near him. And why does he body slide through the snow? You can, you've you got to put the ball down. No, you've got up. to. I there's that. nobody anywhere near him, is there? There's nobody within cooey of him. No, he not really. The big Osmail jersey, which we should have mentioned before. Yeah, is it is a great sponsor. A great sponsor yeah. Sponsored by Malcolm Turnbull. And going, boom, straight through with the 747 takeoff through the in goal. I just suggest he might have thought about staying on his feet, the great man. I think that's fair. But also, I back the Volcano 100%. Um, a, a word on the Volcano's four years mm. with the Raiders, in which he scored six, uh, 35 tries in 69 games. He then went to Bradford, 149 mm. games, 145 tries. There's a real sense that the volcano had a fair impact on the Super League. Yeah, there is. Um, there's, I've got, uh, I've got that as well. Can I share with you two particular stats from that? By all means. Okay, so in 2004, he scores 38 tries in 26 games in the Super League, and he backs it up in 2005 with 32 and 22, with approximately the same strike rate for 70 tries in a 48 game stretch. Over that's two unbelievable. Seasons. That's that's deranged. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I think you'd be having him in UK super coach on 70 I'm tries in 48 games. Yeah. He also, um, and I, I, I wasn't aware, to, well, I was aware of this, but I'd sort of forgotten about it. Uh, 19 tries, oh, sorry, 14 tries in 12 tests for New Zealand, scored in every game of the 2000 World Cup. Mm. But five rugby tests for England in mm. 2008. So eight mm. years on from the snow game, Leslie Vanacolo lines up on the wing at Twickenham for, for yeah. England in the, in, the, uh, in the Six Nations. You'd like to think about him meeting the Queen if, that ever, if he ever got the chance, wouldn't you? Yeah, I would have thought so. There's also a wonderful story. He was found Chatting off... Snow Game. Chatting well, that's snow right. That's right. Have, Majesty, you ever heard, yeah. have you ever heard of the Supermax? Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> well, it goes without saying. Yeah. Um, which one did you like more, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, mm. uh, he, was, uh, he was found not guilty of assault in 2009 after an incident outside mm. a bar. Can I just ask, and we, we talked about this in the context of Glenn Lazarus um, mm. a few weeks ago, why on earth is someone picking a fight with Leslie Vainicolo? Yeah, I'd just be giving him a fairly wide berth on spec. He's one of my favourite players of all time. But if I saw him somewhere, I would just give him a really wide berth just because, uh, you know, forget not picking on him. I just don't want to be too close within risk, distance because I might risk die. Versus, just, risk versus reward. Yeah, the man was yeah, human I, cement. Yeah, and you can see him from such a great distance anyway. There's no need to get up close. Yeah, just like, enjoy the view of, of the volcano. Yeah, that's right. That's right. 
I, I really enjoyed when he came back. He got it. He was one of those players in that run. They used to do it with Shantane Harpy and the Pauls. They used to bring him back for the test from England. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. Only, yeah. And when he used to come out, when he was playing in England, he had the big, he had big long hair, like a big mop. And yeah. uh, when he would come out, he'd play the test with the big mop. You'd have a look. I just, he was fascinating to look at. He's a big, <laughs> like by today's standard, he's still like, would be the biggest winger. He sort of, if people don't know, he's sort of like at least Manu sort of fatify big. He's yeah. big and thick and yeah, like that just abnormally oversized human being for some reason none of us are sure of playing on the wing. Um, wonderful. I loved him. The volcano may he live forever. Yeah, that's. I think that's 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 as neat as you can be about that issue. Uh, mm. There are a couple of moments of, of this game is a very low quality possibly because it's been played in the snow and everyone's got hypothermia. There are some moments of real, like, calamitous errors. Brandon Coston takes it upon himself to jump into dummy half and take a kick and just blasts it over the sideline. Um, And then a couple of minutes later, the Raiders decide to counter-attack from their own half, which I'm very keen on. They're real values from the Raiders because they stick to the process and keep zinging the ball all game despite the conditions. But they (laughs) they spread it in their own half. There's a catch and pass from Tyron Smith to Carlaw, journeyman to journeyman. And John Carlaw draws his man and just passes over the sideline. <laughs> <laughs> There's nobody there. Poor old Lalloa Milford. It's about five metres back, nowhere near it. And Carlaw just looks up and flings it into touch. It's wonderful. Uh, it reminded me of that night a few years ago when Tao Tao Moga did it twice in the same game with Nathan Ross, mm. um, not where he thought he was. Uh, so, John Carlo, we salute you um, for that. And then the Raiders, this is the moment of the match for me. Because yeah. I, even if, like if we were watching Super Saturday, even if just this one yeah. thing, even if it's just this one thing happened, even <laughs> taking away the snow and everything else, yeah. if there was just this one thing, it'd be enough for us to oh, remember yeah. this game forever. Brett Mullins scores a try. Uh, Andrew McFadden makes a break off the scrum from Carlo passing it out into touch. Uh, McFadden makes a break, he's dragged down, and then they just go through the hands, the next play, and score out wide through Brett Mullins. And Luke Williamson takes the goal kick. He lines it up, he hits it appallingly, straight, but like really soft hit because the ball's like a rock. It drifts and drifts, and it looks like it might just creep over, and then it hits the crossbar. And you very rarely see a penalty goal, for, a, a conversion from the sideline, hit the crossbar. But at this moment, we touch the face of God. Gazzy, because the ball hits the crossbar and bounces out, and one of the touchies puts his flag up. <laughs> and one puts Why? it down. <laughs> one puts it down. <laughs> one up, one down. It, it, this, I had no idea this was coming. I had no. no idea this was coming. And this, as you said, my note says what you said. I, I, I put every now and then rugby league touches the face of God. Like every now and then. Uh, we watch a lot of games and you watch all these games and nothing happens and they're appalling quality and you wonder why you're watching it. And every yeah. now and then life rewards you by yeah. something like this happening, like something like this, you know, the, the time you were at the ground when Kieran four and kicked one under the crossbar. Like in front, in front. Yeah. yeah. Like so just now and then things happen that make all of the suffering worth it. And yeah. like the t- one touch judge going flag up and one flag down is one of the great, things that can happen in our sport that's true why do they ever disagree like why does that ever happen but also how can you put your flat like it wasn't a question of whether it went over or not it hit the crossbar yeah and bounced away like the ball's landed in the field of play it doesn't even cross the tr- the goal line it very clearly didn't go in up? 
No, so it clearly didn't go in. Do you remember yeah. the famous one of this? Muhammad um, Fajaja. Yeah. Do you, remember, yeah, yeah. do you remember like the audio when he puts it up? Yeah, yeah. Oh shit! <laughs> Sorry, I'm swearing. Oh shit! <laughs> put it up. He meant to put it down. His brain's gone. Yeah. He just puts the flag up. <laughs> it's my favourite footage ever. Like him putting yeah. it up and then just going, "Oh shit!" Running downfield. Shit. Sorry. Because <laughs> he misses by a mile. Yeah. 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 Just. Uh, just. Uh, I, yeah. It, it happens. But it's a rule that shouldn't have to exist. You know, there's mm. this rule that if the touchies disagree, the ref has to rule, which is, by the way, is wonderful because the ref's in a worse position than the touchy, but has to overrule yeah. one of them. Yeah. Yeah. And um, we have video referees. Like that's the, right. You could use instead of the on-field referee not standing behind the post. That's absolutely, yeah, all of that. But um, incredible. The, um, just, the yeah. thing uh, sort of on that try, um, I just wanted to make a little bit of a note on Brett Mullins. So um, this is, I suppose... When you listen to the hit the story of Brett Mullins, there becomes this bit of a narrative that he had this Jared Hayne, Ben Barber like run in the round ninety four, where he was like, you know, untouchable, sort of good. touched the face of God, like untouchably good, but that that it burned bright and short. And I just don't think that's necessarily true. So we we watched the Super League and saw him score three tries in a state of you know the Super League version of the Origin against sort of Queensland's best players and sort of stand out at that level. And I just want to make a note here. So this is 2000. This is his last year for Canberra. Yep. Um, and we're at 30, he's, it's his 13th game of the season. He has eight tries and 15 line breaks. Yeah, like leading he's the, like, top, he's, he's, top line breaker. Yep. And he looks dangerous all game despite it snowing and his game largely been around sort of pace and movement of the ball and yeah. you know, running for space. He looks really dangerous all game. So I'm not sure what happened at Canberra. So I know that there was a game here where he blew up behind the in goal at Mark McClendon and Mal dropped him. And I don't know the backstory. So maybe someone from yeah. Canberra can tell me I'm being unfair, but it seems very odd that you would call, like Mal would really take it on one of his great players that he played with and sort of back Mark McClendon. But anyway, so he sort of ends up out of the Raiders. He has a year in England where he does nothing and he comes back plays on the wing for the Roosters in a competition and scores 17 tries in 26 games playing for yeah. So I, I, the just, I just thought I'd noted is that this is very late in his career. It's the last year he has at the Raiders and he is still exceptionally good. He looks dangerous all game. He's getting more than a line break a game. They come fourth, keep in mind, and they sort of daily retires and he goes, they're still coming fourth despite losing all the other great players really apart, you know, they've got Ferner and Wiki, but otherwise they're largely diminished and they've still got them to finish in the top four. He's getting a line break every week and he comes back in his very last year after a year out of the game, which we, as we know, it's very hard to do to come back from England and, and scores 17 tries on the wing for East. So I just, I just sort of mentioned that he was not only a, a great player, but it doesn't seem like it ever went away. You know what I mean? It, no, not particularly. He probably more than anything a victim of, um, of, as we've talked about before, the Super League thing, but also the fact that uh, the Raiders just, that, that golden era just, just kind of disappeared. Yeah. And so by the time he, you know, he's playing with, he's playing with these guys rather than Brad Clyde yeah. and Ricky Stewart and all of that. Uh, yeah, so that, that's the moment of the game as far as I'm concerned. It's one of them, it would have been one of the moments of the season. Touchy putting his flag up off a crossbar miss. Mm. Um, and then Laloa Milford scores in the last, or last couple of minutes of the first half. The Raiders turn it over from the, basically off the kickoff. And a couple of plays later, the Tigers have all this space go through the hands Darren Senna throws a lovely cutout pass. Carlo catches and passes, and Milford is actually there this time and goes over to score, and it's 18-10 at half time. And my notes on the first half, I, I, I make notes going through these games. 
and then at halftime kind of try and summarize what's been going on. And at halftime, I just wrote 18, 10. It's just mental. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the one decent try in the game is the volcano try. Everything yeah. else is a series of quite calamitous errors or Craig Field's grubber kick, which is okay. But even the grubber kicks odd because he boots it really hard and it just stops in the snow. And then like, you made a funny comment where you said the Raiders get on a bit of a roll here. And I was just thinking, I don't know how true that was. Because no, they did true. score the next three tries. But they were just all like, like there's the Joel Kane one where he just drops it in the in goal. Then Lola Milford just like does a leapfrog over the ball while trying to bat it dead when it's not near the dead ball line and misses it. And yeah. then, you know, you sort of, then the Tigers come back. There's no reason for this to be this gap for Milford here. There's like Darren sent a cutout pass and for no reason Wolf Graham sort of, 50 metres off his wing, um, despite everyone being numbered up. Yeah, Mark McClendon and there's just a hole there. flying up as well for no reason. Yeah, <laughs> like there's, there's, yeah. there's no reason for this try to happen. So it's just sort of tries being scored for yeah, some that's, reason. That, 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 you're right. Yeah. There's, no, there's no flow to the game or momentum because they just keep dropping the ball. After 50 minutes, there had been 20 errors. Yeah, yeah. so 10 H. So, and that gives you some idea of what it was like. Um, short garlic, one, this is a great piece of commentary. He says the Tigers can take comfort from the fact that all the Raiders' tries were off Tigers' errors. Yeah, comforting. <laughs> it's comforting we're playing, to know that <laughs> we're they're playing only badly and stuff. They're, yeah. they're only scoring because we keep repeatedly botching things. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that must be um, pleasing. Yeah, <laughs> must be happy. There's also mention that the Raiders' cheer girls went home before the game. Like yeah, they sent I them don't home. Blame them. I sort yeah. of think that would be an OHS issue. Um, yeah. Either that or they could have borrowed some of Craig Field's cotton T-shirts. Well, that's it. I think Cheer Girls in the T-shirts would have been a very good look. Um, now, <laughs> the second half is, is much less eventful than the first to the extent that the snow dries out um, and, and, or, or melts and there's not as much snow on the field. Um, but it, there are a couple of, there are some, still some things that we do need to mention. Matt Sears uh, does a sideline interview just after half time. Uh, in a quite absurd bomber jacket, but it just there, there's something about this Tigers side. It's just a bit the voyage of the damned, isn't it? Like you've kind of got, like, you know, like you've kind of got yeah, Matt Sears like post, like, it's sort of post Norths. Norths have gone defunct. They got Matt Sears running around. He's on the, like he's out injured. You got Tyron Smith at his sixth club. John Carlo at his fourth club. Like John Hopawati, sort of a year before he sort of nearly got run out of the game for poking people in the date, you know, Craig Field sort of two, a few years before he gets sent to jail. Like it's just all a bit. You know who else? They, they ended up having Terry Hill sort of just after his lobster trap. Um, yeah. In, yeah. As well, in about his hundredth club, because he played for West South and, and Manly, Manly. As, as well. So he's sort of coming back, sort of buying back the farm. You're right. They, they had this cobbled together mix of players where you go, uh, some, like you go, oh, geez, Matt Sears was a good player at North quite a bit before this. Yeah. Oh, Hopper was a really good player at Manly quite a bit before this. Insert field, Hill, you know, like there's quite a lot of, a lot of those guys there that were, it's like Parramatta had a phase of this, like quite a while after this, where if you look through the time, there was quite a good a group of players that were quite good quite a bit before they got to Parramatta at other clubs, but not by the time they were there. And that's sort of <laughs> Tiger side. There's quite a few players that if you had the, all of them at their best football, you would be in a bit of business, but this wasn't necessarily that. No. And yet they were coming second at this point, which is stunning. Um, yeah. But it just, no, you're right. I, I, it, I watched this and I was looking at those players and going, geez, there's, there's just a, quite a bit of calamity here. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. So they, with the second half, um, 
one thing I did notice was the Tigers seemed to change jerseys at half time. Yes. And I'm not, I'm not sure the Raiders did. Ah. And if they didn't, it's good. Well, I tried to look when they came out, there still seemed to be a lot of mud on some of the Osmail jerseys, which suggests they didn't. And I'm happy to be proven wrong, but I love the idea that they didn't because they just played a game in the snow for 40 minutes. They're sopping yeah. wet and covered in snow and they're just sort of been like, go back out there. It's just like quite, a, apart from anything else, really like not a good idea from a public health perspective. Like it's, <laughs> uh, but also very uncomfortable. Um, I don't know. There's no word on whether Craig Field changed cotton t-shirts though, because he does have no, one on the second Yeah, I I don't know what that's about. It, Joel Kane makes the point in the in the Players Voice article that uh, mm. the West Tigers players came off the field and just Junior Pierce is saying, "Come on, boys, get in here. We like and to talk about what happened in the first half." And and all the Tigers players just walk straight past him, straight to the showers. Yeah, like they just, well, and yeah. Wayne Pierce is kind of saying, "What are you doing? Come on!" And no. Uh, just they just walked straight past and into the and, and hit the showers because you know they, they were all sort of experiencing the early signs of hypothermia. Yeah, well, there's a, there's a point in the second half where the trainer takes out a bucket of warm water behind the goalpost. So instead of taking out drinks, he seriously he takes there's a try where he takes out a bucket of warm water and guys are dunking their hands in it. Oh god! <laughs> in the middle of the middle of the game. <laughs> science, yeah, baby. Science. science. Yeah. yeah. Sports science of the two thousands. Yeah. Uh, I, now, I'm happy to be corrected on this, but I believe that in the 43rd minute of the game, <clears throat> we see John Hoppawati's first touch. Yeah, I think I, that's right. I, yeah. I could be wrong Good about point. this, but I don't think I am. Uh, I think Hopper didn't touch the ball until the second half. Um, he doesn't have a great deal of involvement in the game. There are quite a couple of tries scored down his side, but that's about it. Yeah. yeah. A couple of near misses for him, like needless, pointless dives at kicks that he was never going to get to. Yeah, yeah sort of head first and <laughs> we'll stuff right at the end. Yeah. Yeah, we'll get to that yeah. at the end, yeah. Uh, yeah. Then Luke O'Donnell is held up by Laurie Daly really well in the 46th minute, yielding, of course, the 10-metre scrum, which I was very keen to see again. Uh, we've yeah. talked about this. And then jo- Craig Field jumps out of dummy half, launches a quite bizarre sort of dink kick into the in goal, and Tyron Smith rises magnificently to claim it above his head and put the ball down. Uh, and Joel Kane kicks the goal, and it's eighteen sixteen, with half an hour to go. Yeah, from nowhere, like it, it's one of the oddest kicks I've ever seen. Like it's this little dink kick. Um, Tyron, uh, it's, God, Tyron Smith's a good shape, by the way. Like a He's really perfect shape, shape, isn't he? You can see oh, why clubs kept picking him up. He's just rangy and beautiful. But it, this game just didn't feel like the Tigers should really be in front. It just felt like they scored a sort of grubber kick at the start, and then just got totally pounced by the Raiders repetitively. Williamson missing the goals help, but all of a sudden you looked at the score and they were in front because they scored first right yeah. at the start. Then there's 35 minutes of Canberra just going, try, 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 and the Tigers never getting there. And they score like a minute before half time. So you sort of like don't put that in the flow of the game much. And all of a sudden they've scored this one and they're in front. You, like it's very odd, isn't it? Because it just feels like they're well behind no, in the game. There's no, there's no kind ping of... Ping one at the start, ping one at the end, and ping one at the start of the second half. And it's like, oh, you know. There's no basis <laughs> for any of the... Really, for any of the changes in the mo- in momentum of the game. Yeah. There's nothing really... They just... It just... Teams make mistakes at various times, and yeah. their opposition get it and score. Uh, there's no there's no flow at all. Uh, and then the, the Tigers score again in the 57th minute off of... <laughs> Off a Craigfield kick again that just bounces completely the wrong way off uh, Wolford. And then it's nudged out of the way of Mullins and Field dives on it and scores or puts his hand on it and scores. Kane kicks the goal again and it's 22-18. 
22 18 with 23 minutes to go from 18 for it was 18 6. Um, yeah, drag yeah, themselves it, back in. There's a lot of talk about the Tigers' famous resilience from the year 2000. Yeah, which is good. It held again, holds up to this day. Yeah. It's um, I suppose so. I sorry if I'm jumping this forward a little bit. No, no. I mean, not much. Not much happens till about maybe eight or nine to go. Yeah, and I think there's a series of events. If there's something that I've missed, feel free to jump me. But there's then quite a series of bizarre events. I think we should go through in the last ten minutes. Yes. Um, so. First of all, first and foremost, so with about eight or nine minutes to go, Canberra forced a dropout. Yep. Um, and there's by the time Craig Field kicks it, there's eight minutes to go, and they're up 22-18 in the snow. So Craig Field goes for the worm burner short dropout. <laughs> Firstly, he goes the short dropout, and secondly, the worm burner in the yeah, snow, which in the, snow. the ball's chronically holding up. So grubber, like the grubber dropout for touch, looking to sneak one past and win the scrum. <laughs> And sort of just hands the ball to David Fern at 15 metres out instead of 50 metres out. Yeah. And again, at 22-18. Um, and this couple of minutes, I just think, is the peak of the project because that's one point I had to make because that's just totally demented. Um, and secondly, is that in these two sets, it's 22-18. So Canberra go a full set, force a dropout, and yeah. go a full set and force another dropout. As they start the first set, so they've hooked Laurie Daly off the field. So yeah, twenty-two eighteen, and they play to go. Chasing with the ten game. minutes left. Yeah, and they spend the next two sets attacking the line quite badly. With Mal thinking that this isn't the time, he has interchanges left because he brings Laurie Daly back on the well, field it's shortly afterwards. It's un- yeah, it's yeah. unlimited two thousand yeah, still. So. Is yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, well, even if it's not, he's got interchanges because Laurie Daly comes back on. So I don't know when they changed it exactly, but he um. I know it wasn't in 2001, that's all, and it was in 99, so I'm just not sure where 2000 yeah. is. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But in either case, he has interchanges regardless. And I just don't quite understand it. So it's 22-18, and they don't score in either set, and they don't look like scoring. Like they, And they, he comes back on for the third set, and they don't really look like scoring. Mm. And it's like, on what basis did he think that they shouldn't have Laurie Daly on the field to try and wow. win this game? They're coming, they're coming 10th. Too. So they need to win this to stay in touch with the top eight. And he's been like, you know what we need? Less daily, more supermat control. Yeah, look, that's reasonable. Um, there's a couple of things. I think that if I can pick it up from here, uh, yeah. I think I think Mal is, is vindicated by two things. One, mm. the fact that the second dropout that you mentioned is forced by a Luke DeVico grubber from dummy half. Yeah. Which I think, you know... I th- I think you'd sort of need to need to bear that in mind. It's not as if, even with daily off, it's not as if they didn't have options. Yes, uh, right. Yeah. And secondly, after completely like making making a complete mess of three consecutive sets on the Tigers' line with seven minutes to go, uh, they turn the ball over, and then Wolford charges down a Craigfield kick, and Super Mac McClendon scores, and they 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 go twenty four twenty two in front. Yeah, that's the most Tigers thing ever. Like, if you want to is, sum up the West Tigers in their existence, it would be defending three sets on the try line up by four with less than 10 minutes left, really resolutely defending it, not like not looking like being breached. And then they try and kick on tackle four from their own 30 to get it down the other end and really nail the game. And they headlessly kick it straight into sort of the germ's head coming through for a charge down, who then gets like, it goes to another chaser with the perfect bounce. Like in the snow, yeah. it just sits up perfectly for him to catch it at pace, keep running and hit McClendon in a way. And we go for all the stuff they did, they just calamitously do this. Yeah, after They it, do you know? the things that you have to do to win and then do something else. Uh, yeah. Do something else completely wrong. Yeah, it's good that. Um, 
<laughs> and then, <laughs> and so the Raiders hit the front, and with two minute, with, with with six or seven minutes to go, and it's twenty four twenty two. But Williamson kicks the goal. Terry Kennedy, with two minutes to go, the Tigers, mm-hmm. as you'd expect, are throwing the ball around a bit. Terry Kennedy says, "They're not about to go into their shell, are they? The Tigers." That. I've got this as well. That is the most mental piece of commentary I've ever heard. They're down 22-18 with two and a half minutes on the clock. And yeah, he's exclaimed that they're not about to go into their shells. What, what was Jesus he suggesting? Christ, what what basis should they have? What was the suggestion? He should be just plugging it into touch. Just just watch this. Like, sort of got to stay patient at this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah with their, in their own end with, with two minutes left. Yeah. Oddly, Craigfield does do that a little bit, sort of kicks for the corners, which I find very strange because all game he was much more aggressive. But, yeah, that, that's one of the oldest pieces of commentaries ever. And the end of this game following that is the last minute and a half. <laughs> totally incredible. So the Raiders take a fairly, you know, Craigfield kick does kick it into the corner, but sort of looking to get a drop out. He kicks it for the back corner and yeah. they stay one meter in the field to play the Raiders. And there's about a minute, two minutes to go. So they take five hit ups really conservatively out of their own end. And they're on about the 25, 30 meter line play five. They, they daily gets tackled play five and it goes to super Mac, balding super Mac, Andrew McFadden, future yep. warriors, coach immortal um, yep. gets the ball on play five on his own 30 meter line with a minute and a half to go and decides to run the ball. So he throws a fizzing, like long cutout pass to the outside to stick them quite wide on the right-hand channel. And it eventually gets to Mark McClendon, who then is like, why has everyone done this? Why have we run the ball here? And has to rushedly put a kick in so they don't get pinned. And he kicks it out in the full by about by about 10 metres wide yeah. of the field. Um, yeah. And ultimately, the Supermat combination, uh, this, the innate understanding these two have, have combined for a giant kick out of the full up by four with a minute and a half to go and turns yeah. the ball over on their 30 metre line. It's quite good. And uh, this, I, I saw. Why do they run the ball? I don't know. The, the game was really winding down, and then all of a sudden, Clinton <laughs> just absolutely like flogged it into touch yeah. on the full. I was like, oh, here we go. So the, so the Tigers get the ball back. They get, there's about 40 seconds on the clock when they start the set. And on the second tackle, I think it is, Craig Field decides, no, no, bugger this. We're just going to have a crack here. And just kicks it into the corner from about oh, 30 out. Just pings it into the, uh, right onto the try line on the opposite side of the field. John Hopawani comes steaming down the wing. Goes at it for the second time in the game. Goes at it hands first at full dive, and misses by a couple of inches. And it's it's bu- it's bundled into touch, and the Raiders win the game. Have I missed anything yeah. there? No, you've missed nothing other than as you say there is about it might tackle two. There's thirty seconds left. They would have got the whole set in, and yeah. he kicked it on play two, and. It, it you made it sound really close and it's not that it wasn't close, but it never looked like scoring and it didn't like Mullins was there and it's going into touch. It's like, yeah, it, it, it wasn't really on and <laughs> he, he could have done it two plays later. Like even on play four, it still would have surprised people. There was 30 seconds left. They make no attempt to run any other play. They go hit up, hit up, kick for Hopper. <laughs> and another point to raise is that Craig Field twice in this game, tries to catch teams off guard by kicking early for his winger, which I think is a wonderful rugby league play. I've seen them do it a lot this year for Addo Carr at Melbourne. Um, uh, the Hammer, Hammerside, Taboy Fado, they've been doing it at the Cowboys, kicking early yep. in the set for him. But 
I don't quite understand why Craig Field's doing it for John Hopawati. That's sort of right. Point. I just think it's a problematic plan that he keeps yeah. looking up and going, I think the fullback's out of position or not at home, and kicks along for Hopper and backs him sort of in a contest with um, Brett Mullins. The principle <laughs> in and of itself is fine, but it just might yeah. not, that he might not have been the guy. Well, know? his other winger at Milford is a real wit, like Pacey Whippet. Um, and marking Wolf Graham. So if you think you got Mullins out of position, you might go for Milford and try and get yeah. him around Wolf Graham rather than kicking going, well, Mullins is a bit out of position. I bet you he can't get there before Hopper. <laughs> like, it's just... I, I just think, yeah, like you say, the plan is ultimately sound, but there's really mm. some understanding of your own sort of limitations. Yeah. I. That's right. Um, they note in the commentary that the... Super 12 grand final was played the night before at the ground. Yeah. Geez, people were spoiled that weekend, weren't they? What would you have rather, like, to see, a, to see a, the, 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 the Brumbies Super 12 grand final as a kind of, I see that really as a curtain raiser to this game, as yeah. a sort of minor, as a sort of minor warm-up before the, the snow game. Well, I mean, I don't think there's any contest that the people of Canberra have a choice between watching Joe Roth or Tyron Smith, what you're going to be at. Yeah, that's right. Stephen Larkham or, say, Mark McClendon. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, Ben Ducksworth, Lewis system, for example. You want to see him (laughs) or Larkham, who are you going to see? Yeah, exactly. Give the people what they want. Um, I've got to tell you, Gazzy, I've enjoyed this no end, watching this. Uh, It was fantastic. 23 errors, five tries to four. and all off errors, basically. All, all off errors. Um, some of the great names of the late 90s, early 2000s. Some, some real beloved kind of like loose cannon footballers from my childhood. Uh, I, really, I really want to thank you for sharing this journey with me. Uh, and I want, to share, I want to thank the listeners at home who have, who have shared it with us. We'll put the link up through the week and people can watch it themselves. Uh, but to celebrate the end of winter, I think this was the only way to go. Absolutely. It was thrilling. It's one of the, the great games we've got to cover. I look forward in the future to plotting out a series of other odd con- weather condition games that we will do. And we would, we would love to hear some from the listeners as to what, yes. um, what just odd games. It might be the weather. It might be something else. It's what odd sort of weird games weird that don't really mean anything. Games yeah. where the floodlights went out, all that kind of thing. Yeah, just yeah. weird stuff do you have for us because we want to throw them in there. This is the peak of the project. It is ultimately much more important than grand finals and, and origins and all the rest of it. That's right. It's, it's I no love when things forever. like this happen. Remember that one a few years ago at uh, yeah, down in Wollongong when half of the floodlights went out at the ground and it was completely pitch black in one corner of the ground? <laughs> yep. That sort of yep. thing. It's yeah. a great... It's, it's, it's a joy. Um, the shark NATO game that was yeah. a wonderful game as well. Every yeah. now and again, every now and again, you just you just get you get something a bit special, uh, and this was yeah. probably this was probably the ultimate example of that. So I think, well, look, if I, yeah, yeah. Look, if I just had one complaint, it would be that when they played a grand final in a mud bath, we got the trophy of the Proven Summons trophy, sort of forever them hugging covered in mud after in a game. And I just would have liked to think that if we were ever going to update the trophy or similar, we could have got like something from this game, like, say, Leslie Vainicolo with snow all over his eyebrow, sort of hugging Craig Sliding. Field in a, in a cotton T-shirt or something like that. Yeah, could have been the that's next, not bad. The next great trophy, or at least the pre-season trophy. This could have been the icon, the next iconic proven summons. You know what I mean? You're absolutely right. We, the, the image we missed a trick. Game, we might put a few in. We'll put a few photos up on the Facebook page mm. from the game through the week, and people can pick which one they think they'd like to see immortalised mm. as the next trophy. Um, mm. Yeah, that that's a very good idea. Maybe the minor premiers could could get this. Yeah, that stupid yeah. field you get. Yeah, yeah, 
Yeah, that's fantastic. Where was JJ Gilton? How many tries did he score for the Bradford Bulls, you know? Yeah, exactly right. No no wins in the snow, that's for sure. In fact, um, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll leave you with that list. Thank you for joining us on the Rugby League Cemetery. Until next time, it's been a pleasure. Inside for the Vico. Good offload for Costa. Better work for Swartz. What a try this would be. Wayne O'Connor. There's nothing like snow business.